Clay. I know it's easy to pile on Neelix with his petulant jealousy and his inability to manage his relationship on this ship with Kess because every time she uh, she talks to some some young stud, he flies into a uh, a Jiklamata rage, as you said last episode. Yeah. Not quite, but yeah. he gets close. But I have a question. Mm-hmm. I know Neelix is um, being ridiculous and being petty and being jealous and everything like that, but what does Tom Paris think he's doing, actually? <laughs> I'm like, I know everyone hates Neelix and thinks that he's uh, extremely um, jealous and sort of distastefully jealous, but I think Tom Paris has has a little bit of blood on his hands in this whole thing, too, because he, when he <laughs> when he leaves the... Um, the dining hall or whatever, after he says goodbye to Cass, he gives Neelix a look. He gives him a look. I recognize that look. And then he walks off, and it's like, I think Neelix is at least somewhat justified in what he's doing there. You've seen that look many times right before your girl has been stolen by the other guy at the bar. Tom Paris, back off, my friend. This is this is not your place. Don't give me he, your, you're trying to be friendly with your lettuce or whatever routine. <laughs> he, you never know. He might just be one of those guys that doesn't actually know how to turn it off. So mm. even though he's he's just being nice, it comes across as he's you know got lascivious intentions. Yeah, I don't I don't trust him. I don't trust that Tom Paris. Get back to driving the ship. I mean, based on his program from in the holodeck, I mean, I wouldn't trust him either. No, Neelix Neelix is overreacting, but it's an understandable reaction. I think is the long way to go about saying this. Let's get to Elosium which sounds like a currency in a sci-fi universe, but it is the fourth episode of the second season of Star Trek Voyager. It came out on September 18th, 1995. Teleplay goes to Kenneth Biller and Jerry Taylor. Story credit goes to Jimmy Diggs and Steve J.K., directed by Reinrich Colby. In-universe date is 4891.3, which was 2371. And this Sorry, one, real quick. Mm. Who were, What was the writing credits again? I, I uh, Teleplay is Ken Biller and Jerry Taylor, who are traditional standbys in the show story mm-hmm. credit is jimmy diggs and steve jk is jerry taylor a woman jerry taylor is a woman yes okay because i was gonna say jerry taylor is one of the uh, three co-creators with berman and pillar and she she okay. is a female holdover from tng i was gonna say to to not have a single woman on the writing staff for this <laughs> episode i mean it wouldn't shock me given this was 20 something years ago well that um, was the um the kira pregnancy we went through that where it was an all-male writing staff writing kira's pregnancy and it came across as completely absurd but this is a little <laughs> bit different we can say that jerry taylor was present and as far as i know she has a vagina in this episode called Elogium, the Voyager encounters a swarm of spaceborne aliens while Kess and Neelix must decide whether to have a child. They do uh, have to decide that. So we get Kess and Neelix back again. We get a little bit of a sci-fi B-plot where these little space slug things are flying around and the Voyager gets sucked right into them. And uh, Basically, the, the main takeaway is that this is an episode all about sex, baby <laughs> so let's talk about you and me and uh well i i think my takeaway is that i wish this was an episode where the content was treated a little bit more seriously i think like all the downsides to this one are in how they choose to talk about what they want to talk about and yeah. i think i think at its core there's actually some really interesting stuff that they could have talked about in this and it's mostly the way that the Kess stuff is played as like, see if I can sum this. So it's like 
the idea of having a family and sex life on the ship and everything and, and Voyager and the crew having to deal with like what, whether or not a family is something that this ship should push, that's all well and good. It's just that the sci-fi thing of what happens to Kess is so ridiculous that it makes it almost a comedy at times. Sure. And it's not yeah. very funny. And it's also not as interesting as like the serious nature of, you know, Janeway's dilemma, Tuvok's dilemma. Uh, even if you take it like 100% seriously, the, the Neelix and Kess dilemma, if you want to like push it that hard to say that there's something serious that could be considered there. Um, I don't know. It feels like a childish take on what could have been a really interesting episode. Yeah, I I thought the stuff that they were were talking about <clears throat> was pretty interesting as far as, you know, everything you're saying there, the ethics and responsibility of of uh, and the practicality of having kids on a starship, especially one that's slated to be flying for 75 years. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I I didn't think you know, I see what you're saying with the Kess stuff, but I didn't think that they were trying to play it for laughs at all. Even when, um, he, when he picks her up and she's like shoving food in her mouth and he's carrying her out, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I, I guess I guess I kind of missed that part. But <laughs> what, like once like once she once she starts going into her uh, whatever it's called. Um, Elogium. <laughs> Elogium. Her phase of Elogium. I, I had a I had a, a flashback that I was being the Star Trek Star Trek equivalent of uh, what's the the thing Trump said where he's like you know how they're they're they're, they're down there they, they just they bleed down there oh right <laughs> <clears throat> whatever he said to Megan Kelly I don't know but um but like once it gets into that stuff I don't know uh, anything about their cycles Clay so let's uh, let's stay here <laughs> once it got into that stuff it seemed like it was less comedy and more. They were trying to really drive home the point that this was a big decision. Yeah. So yeah. having her, <clears throat> the process by which she can have a child be um, very long and, and very arduous. Yes. Uh, you have a long time to make your decision, but it's a, it's a quick decision nonetheless. You can, as Neelix says, you can sleep on it and stuff. Like, that's what I think the... That's the comedy to me is when she's sure, like, there's 50 sure. hours and he says, well, that's great. We can sleep on it. And then he just leaves, you know, and he yeah, goes off. Yeah, somewhere. he was. I got to say, I guess they were playing it for laughs. Yeah, but he came off as kind of a dickhead. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah, But I think that he has his character has no choice because he's like the, the constraint of this about them needing to make a decision is really kind of comical silly and really undermined when you have to do it so quickly and you don't even know that these characters have been really working on this as a thing so it just comes across as like in no way does it seem the right like they and that's the sci-fi thing of Kess where it's like Kess is like this is the only time I'm ever going to get pregnant so we have to treat it seriously even though this is Mm -hmm. an absurd thing to treat seriously at this point It, it undermines the decision to me because it makes it seem more um, like less less of an interesting choice or something because Neelix is kind of forced into it and it doesn't feel like any decision he makes is actually a real good decision on his part. Sure, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I kind of I kind of wish that that uh, I mean she kind of comes to this decision on her own, obviously, but I kind of I, I kind of wish Neelix Neelix had pushed back a little bit in their um, back and forth and been like, you know. 
I don't know if you're doing this for the right, you know, mm. you seem to want to do this just to do this. I don't know if you're doing this because you actually want to do this. <clears throat> but she comes to that conclusion herself, obviously, when she's with the doctor and whatnot. But I think there was, yeah, I think there was more stuff they could have get into that was that that was a little bit more, um, uh, had a little bit more meat on the bone. Um, I actually, I actually, in the final scene, when she comes back into the, the mess hall there, I <clears throat> I thought that they were going to completely sidestep having to deal, having to one of them to come up with an answer. I thought it was going to just be like, oh, as soon as they left the, the slug party, um, everything went away and went back to normal. So, like, they never had to really make the decision, um, which I guess it did actually happen. But it, on top of that, Kess did say that she decided not to go through with it. Yeah. I I wish that they had had that scene. Well, two things. I I no, I guess it's part of the same thing. Basically, I I feel like they pulled up a bit at the end where they could have had a really good scene where Kess actually makes that decision. Um and the two of them kind of have to grapple with it in the moment instead of kind of coming in after the fact and having her kind of couch it with the fact that uh you know her her childbearing whatever uh could happen again because it was artificially uh triggered by this thing so like they they i i guess i just i wish the decision they had made was more final and was more like they really did have to make a hard decision so if she says yeah. no then there is a really good chance that she will never it's just a hard no and it will not happen you know yeah <clears throat> yeah i i guess that I guess a lot of my trouble comes from the fact that it doesn't feel like this is enough time for them to have a serious like story about this stuff. It, it comes out of nowhere, you know, like the, yeah, the, the, her, her phase that she's in heat for lack of a better term now, like she's in her cycle and this is the moment, like it's played up as kind of a sci-fi mystery for about 10 minutes of the episode. And then it's revealed that this is what's actually going on. Did it have anything to do with the fact that she was eating bugs or is it just that her, her, metabolism shot up because she was in uh, in that uh god i feel like a that, doctor that, in the that 50s states. trying to figure out how to talk about this <laughs> no and she's um i think it's just that that's all a byproduct of her entering her cycle or like okay, pregnancy cycle right. is that she needs the nutrients so so that guess by neelix was actually the correct answer and it wasn't just ah. a weird um sci-fi thing going on it gotcha, gotcha. um yeah, I don't. I just don't think I would be happy with any outcome that these two came up with. Like, if they decided to have the baby, I think that's a bad idea. The fact that they don't decide to have the baby, it kind of feels just trite by the end of it. Um, the like, I I just feel that Neelix throughout his little journey here is so dysfunctional and like off base of what like he he's he at one point he says i hope i have a son so i can teach him romantic techniques and it's like so you're in this spot where you're like i feel like neelix needs a season to learn about stuff you know Mm -hmm. and like if he whatever Mm -hmm. he decides here is bad the only really the honestly the saving grace of the episode is this conversation with tuvok which was very nice Mm -hmm. um about his kids and even then i feel like Neelix has a kind of like social autism there where he comes in and is like, he's very, he's very friendly and jovial asking Tuvok about his family that he's not seeing any longer. 
you know it, it's like mm-hmm. there's no there's no um delicacy of bringing it up and the reason i like the scene is that tuvok actually portrays like a well he talks like a vulcan and walks like a vulcan he has a kind of the, he hints that he's actually sort of more troubled by what's going on than he lets on to it um but it was just weird it was just it, neelix never felt right it never felt like it was taking any of this particularly seriously and i wish that I, the episode had more focused on janeway and stuff like the, the decision yeah. to have what janeway has to decide is far more interesting than what these guys have to decide. Yeah, I just <clears throat> I just can't take Neelix seriously full stop. Yeah. So when it comes to him being jealous and like, you know, on the surface, it's like, oh yeah, I, I'm this weird alien. This is my girlfriend Kess. But it's it's fine. It works in that thing. But when it gets down to like, should we sire a child together? Yeah. While I am being weird and possessive about it. It's like, all right, it's not, this isn't as fun as it was before. (laughs) And I don't know if you as a character are equipped to handle a serious (laughs) disaster. What you're talking about, yeah. Which, honestly, I I actually thought that this was going to be where they got rid of Kess, frankly. Oh, okay. Because I I thought it was going to be like... You know the the jealousy plus the fact that he clearly wasn't ready to have this conversation. She was going to actually leave the show. I don't know why I thought that, but yeah. it just seemed like maybe they might go that way. Um, Seems like yeah, an off just, ramp for her a little bit, maybe, or she could just yeah. hook up with someone else. She, I, you could see it as a potential breakup with Neelix episode. I think yeah, is possible. definitely, yeah, yeah totally. Um, I thought she was good. I I think she's pretty good. I like I like Cass so far, and I, I know she gets kind of uh, ragged on. Yeah, um, she's for, a little like, underbaked, I think, but the, sure, the, perform- sure. the performance is pretty good. Yeah, I think I think she as an actress is is pretty solid. She, like uh, <clears throat> the the stuff she had to do in this one, I, I thought was uh, handled with 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 the the correct amount of uh, freaked out and kind of like I can't stop sweating. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of eye makeup on here to make yeah it contacts and yep. stuff and. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's a really interesting idea, and I kind of wish it had been more. Which idea? Ship- sorry, the the. Cast- oh, sorry, just the the general um, pregnancy on the ship. How do we do? We how and when do we start thinking about um, continuing procreation and yeah. Uh, like the conversations that how much making Chakotay, out in the uh, the yeah. the uh, the turbo lift does Chakotay have to put up with? Yeah, yeah. Like the conversation with Chakotay and Janeway was interesting. Uh, it seems like they might be positioning the two the, of them two. to 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 have a thing. Well, I was wondering. I feel like every conversation or a lot of the conversations in this feel like they have sexual undertones to them, and I didn't know if like this is an intentional thing where it's dealing thematically with that like Janeway and Chakotay um are very clearly set up that way with the way that they block them where they're kind of like whispering to each other and Mm -hmm. sort of like giving each other the the elevator eyes and stuff like that but I you know it it gets a little bit silly when you know Tuvok at the end is like it appears we've lost our sex appeal captain and and it goes (laughs) it goes down that road but I, I feel one of the things that I like about it is that I do think that the episode as a whole embraces what it's talking about. It just doesn't do it particularly well. So I, I like that aspect yeah. of it. Yeah, I think I think centering it on 
Neelix and Kess might not be the strongest thing, yeah. but the the idea in general is is interesting. I um how how do you feel about the space worm aspect? It's boring. Um yeah. it reminds me of the Galaxy's Child TNG episode where the Enterprise runs into the the parent spaceborne thing and it kills it and then it has to like the the kid follows it around, think the cop follows the ship around thinking it's the parent. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that. Cuz that's yeah. also an energy draining thing where it would attach itself to the ship. Um I mean, the one thing I liked about it is that they did tie it into the the sex theme that was going on. So like the aliens were reacting in a way that was uh, mating ritual and you know, Chicote's been studying up on that, and everyone's very, very proud that Chicote knows all about the sex lives of space worms and stuff. But <laughs> outside of that, it was um, it felt like a retread, and it wasn't particularly interesting in the first place. It was just one of these stock sci-fi B plots that gets paired on to some of these episodes. Yeah, I, I wish uh, <clears throat> I wish when the the um, the big voluptuous space female space worm showed up, Tom Paris is like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> he brings it a salad and says, let's go, let's go do something else over here. Was that the way that they ended up with it? Was the female the big one or was it the male? Did they ever decide that? I think they just kind of switch it all the way through the episode. Yeah, I, f- I forget. I I, th- I think they implied that the big one was the female because the, the males usually, uh, the males were doing more like showing off. Performative. That's generally something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I will say. What did kind of creep me out is that they took the opportunity to remind us that Cass is only two years old. Yeah, it's the other weird... Like, which, this is her first period, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and Neelix needs to get in there. Which, like, is it? Is it like a longer year? Does it take longer for them to go around their sun or something? Is that the idea? Or do they just age faster? No, I think they're on Earth years. So, the, the like, the weird... Uh, sort of nonsense about her is that she only lives for a couple of years, but she only gets pregnant once, too. So, yeah, um, unless she gives birth to a thousand baby Neelixes, uh, which is a pretty horrible sight. It's it's kind of a strange species. I don't know. It was just it was just a really odd conversation when she's like, when I think Neelix is like, but why can that happen? You're only two. This shouldn't happen till you're five at least. And I was like. <laughs> Without it's, the visuals, yeah, this is kind of hard to. <laughs> it's another, uh, it's another knock on Neelix too. Really, that it's like it is it's, like it makes him. It just really makes him look like a a shithead, kind of. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 not very fairly um, set up by the writers. The 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 character itself is obviously it's not really a performance issue. It's more like just the character set up badly. But he's he's set up in almost every way that it's almost impossible for an actor to make this character likable. Really, just mm. from his who he's set up with in a relationship to the way that he acts to his role on the ship and stuff like that. It's it's yeah. tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the thing that I. The thing that I do like is I do like Janeway's uh, figuring out the ship. Like even on a, it's one of these things. It's another another one where I like it, but it still misfires a little bit. Like at the ending scene where that ensign who has been so prominent that you're wondering why she's been so prominent <laughs> so far, then she comes in and reveals that um, she's not cheating. She hasn't been cheating on her husband who's left behind. Her husband definitely impregnated her. However long ago, even though they've been mm-hmm. in space for six months or whatever, um, she's pregnant. But the the problem is that like going out on that note feels like it's just left hanging because they're not going to come back to that. So it doesn't it doesn't feel right. like it resolves the story or 
gives you anything interesting to think about except for the fact that one woman one woman there is sort of able through some exposition able to show you why some of the crew would want to have kids because it's as she says it's the only way that she can remember her husband at that mm-hmm. before they get home which is good that's all the good stuff i just wish it wasn't so pushed to the back of this one yeah especially when like theoretically the idea that they're having kids on this ship is should really be like a paradigm shifting change for for voyager yes yeah. right yeah <clears throat> like you know this is this this should be like what at the end of the first season of the x-files when they break up the x-files it's a big change that you they have to figure out how to how to hang with but like I'm moving assuming, from co-workers to family essentially right yeah. right which is which is a really interesting uh, move to make honestly it would be it would be kind of um fun to to play that out and see what happens um <laughs> but then you gotta hire a bunch of stupid kids to be on yes, your show yes yeah yeah just keep them um, babies for their for their entire existence on the ship. Yeah, that's when you you know you jump forward like five years or something. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not a, I'm not expecting this to come back, and you know who knows if that woman ever has the baby. Right? Who's to say? Maybe it will come back. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that. It's it's the lack of it's a script that feels a little bit childish in that way because I do think it's and maybe the show just isn't built for it but I do think that that's a it's a serious conversation that Janeway needs needs to have and I think that the show that involves Janeway's decision about it needs to have a little bit more of a fundamental um, like a, a clarity about what her decision is there like what the pros and cons of both of these things are. Yeah, because I, I think they just short shrift it by her not really having any opinion until the very end when that she talks to that ensign. And even there, though, even there, though, it's not like she really. What is she? What is she going to say? Go to the doctor. Go to sick bay immediately and take the pill or yeah. something. Yeah, I know. <laughs> There's that. I mean that, but that's the. So in a better episode, I could see Janeway coming to the decision that in order to keep the ship professional and get everyone home, she can't allow that to happen. But talking to that ensign is the thing that makes her realize that this is not really possible on this ship anymore. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a Janeway centric episode, which this is not like, she doesn't even, like you're saying, she doesn't even make a decision really. It's just sort of like something that she's casually thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the, the stuff, I don't even really feel like the stuff with Cass or the stuff with the space slugs in any way convinces her one way or the other whether or not this is a good idea. Right. You know, it's just what what else do you say when when someone comes in and tells tells you you're pregnant, mm-hmm. tells you that they are pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> she could she could be the hardliner boss who's like, you don't get any time off. You just have to yeah. work right through this. <laughs> We're not so enlightened after all, you and I. Um. Yeah, it's it's too bad. I, I'm just thinking here. I'm looking through my notes. We talked about Cote and Janeway, considering the the sex life. Um, I did. I could focus on Tuvok again. Apologies too. For some reason, like the the airplanes are going crazy over my house tonight, and there's a lot of motorcycles. But uh, I like the Tuvok scene. I I feel like that's another kind of episode that they haven't really done effectively yet, which is to 
more they did it in a couple things in the first season but to like really effectively show that people miss home and what they're missing and stuff like that and I, I just thought that was a unique conversation because it kind of shows Neelix's setup as being an ignoramus when Tuvok tells him that because Neelix not having any kids has these already like predetermined ideas about what he's going to do with his son that he's assuming he's going to have. Right. And Tuvok Erot- has a nice like... Erotic. Yeah. Erotic er- techniques. Erotic techniques and and <laughs> and uh, the Seinfeld line about the counterclockwise uh, swirl and stuff like that I think is going to be something. <laughs> Tuvok just has nice responses there, I think. It, 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 he, he further just shows like why I like the Vulcans when they're written this way because they can... Yeah. They can really highlight character issues in other characters in a way that is like true to them in the way that they talk about stuff. They're, they're just like this mirror that other characters can look at to either figure out what they really think or see another perspective about something. Mm-hmm. I think Tuvok's effective in it here. I think he has good, uh, good dialogue about his kids and what he misses and um, good acting from Tim Russ who manages to portray all that stuff. Yeah, Tim Russ continues to be, you know, the best Vulcan, the son of Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, um, he does. He does a really great job, and um, <clears throat> yeah, he gets across a lot with without doing much at all. I know that's that sounds like I'm underselling it, but you know what I mean. It's what the uh, it's what that race needs, I think. Mm. Um, whoa, whoa, what's that? Whoa, cool it down. Did I miss talking it? about that's what this that ra- that race <laughs> oh, needs? Jesus Christ! Oh, those people, you know what they are. They get their sticky hands, and you have to hold them for fifty hours to impregnate them or something. Um, nothing else about Cass, really. We talked about the space worms too. They get drawn into that. Oh, I don't. Um, Did you like when when Voyager gets cucked out by the giant <laughs> <laughs> by the by showing showing its belly? Tom Paris, that's some nice beta piloting you got there, buddy. He's like, I know, I know. I had you to seem do it. too good at that, Tom. <laughs> Tom made that chimp ship go uh, go limp rather quickly and got it accomplished. The, the um, I noticed one thing that really differentiated this show from uh, TNG in particular. Although DS Nine is probably the same way. Enterprise, no, I, I could see Enterprise doing this actually. I would never expect to see in TOS, TNG, and DS9, the ship ram into something in space and it bounces off of it. Yeah, You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. That yeah. doesn't feel like a TNG thing. That feels like a Voyager and Enterprise thing that they would do all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no it impact. was worth a shot. No impact anything. When, T- yeah. when TNG crashes the ship, it's like a 10-minute long sequence of the ship just being ripped apart as it crashes into something, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, in this case, they were just a giant space slug, so it just seems going to bounce off of it. I had a sound I did effect. Have some, it was like boink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did have some issues with, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's so fascinating to me seeing these sh- how these shows handle uh size relationship i've talked about this many times where it's you know two scale. ships on the screen yes yeah, scale yeah and i was watching as i was watching this one when the gigantic slug comes into screen <clears throat> it kind of comes in from the side and i was i was thinking you know this kind of makes sense this angle because it looks like it's enveloping it's it's like eclipsing voyager but the problem is 
you are in a full three-dimensional space of these things floating everywhere. Yeah. So there's not a real good indication that this thing is not just closer to the camera. <coughs> Correct. And yeah. I, f- I, f- I feel like it ran into a couple spots like that where I was like, well, if they had had this thing come in behind Enter- behind Voyager, then you can see, oh, it's bigger than Voyager and also behind Voyager, which means it's just naturally bigger than Voyager. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you do it in the front, you kind of lose that sense of scale because of, uh, you know, like I said, because it... The camera. You don't, you're, know. You're, you the, don't know where it is compared yeah. to the, yeah, the Voyager. And they did that a few times. I think they got it right a couple times, but uh, it, it's always... It, it never ceases to fascinate me to see how they handle this stuff. Um, sometimes it's an easy fix. Sometimes it's not so easy. Uh, so it's always interesting to me. My, my example of that was that I think it's a lesson to be learned for these shows when they when they have the script and then they do the post production. They should probably avoid being too descriptive in dialogue about what is going on outside the ship. So, in in, in mm. terms of your scale thing, when they're describing these things, they're like, "It's a cloud X number of you know distance wide, like thousands of kilometers wide, but it's only X number of things in it." And the things in it are moving at like four thousand kilometers an hour, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. so, but when you see the special effects of it, they're just swimming fish things around them. Right? You know, there's right. like there's no matchup between what they're describing is out there and what the special effects team has to make it look like to make it have any kind of sense to the viewer. You know? Yeah, I wish it was just like, look, Captain, look at that, and then Janeway goes, "Yes, that's wild." <laughs> This is some weird, wild stuff, guys. <laughs> Just say, don't describe them. You know, don't go into sci-fi detail about how fast they're moving right. and stuff like that. Just be like, this is a weird cloud of uh, energy-sucking vampire fish creature things that we have to get through. Well, I mean, it, they did have that one moment where they were kind of comparing it to amoebas and, and relating yeah. it to something, which that that stuff makes sense. But yeah, I think there's probably a a sweet spot in there where you can kind of... Uh, you don't have to be too descriptive, but you get across what you need and, and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, the final question before we go to the patron thoughts and stuff. Uh, do you think this one handle? you know, this is an episode about sex. This is Star Trek. Star Trek traditionally doesn't handle sex very well. Um, is this maybe one of the best actually sex-themed episodes that the, any of the shows have ever done? Because I maybe that's a spoiler for our thoughts about it at the end, but I, I thought that it didn't really embarrass itself in a way that a lot of Star Trek episodes can with this stuff. No, it didn't. Um, it, it's <clears throat> it was um, it was probably one of the better sex-themed episodes, but at the same time. I think the reason that it managed to do that is because it's not really about sex. It's about procreation. Yeah. But it's but it's not like a sexy episode, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's where I feel like they get into trouble is when it's like, you know, uh, what's his name? Paris? No. Riker? No. The other one. Tom Riker? No. The Enterprise. Jim Kirk? <laughs> No, the show Enterprise. Oh, Archer, Trip? Trip. You know, it's not Trip going down and, and not realizing he's getting impregnated by a sexy alien sure. or whatever. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? It's like it's a more thoughtful discussion about the uh, consequences of procreating on a small ship, you know? Mm. And so I, I feel like that 
e- even the Kess stuff, it's not like it's not sexy. And it's not like it's not even romantic. Like the way that they're yeah, talking yeah. about children is not romantic. It's just well, it gets romantic when Neelix starts daydreaming about it. But Kess is Kess is not approaching this from a romantic standpoint. <laughs> Maybe that's the, my failing of it then, because if, if you want this to be about procreation and sort of like the the aspect of having kids, I don't think that the show ever really digs into that in any meaningful way. Um, trying to think about all the storylines here, how, how that works out. At I, least, I was just going to say, at least they don't do it the way like TOS would do it, where it's like, this is an episode about the consequences of sex on a starship. So maybe they go through a nebula and it makes everybody insanely horny to the point where they can't do their jobs. Right, yeah. <clears throat> right. And I... I think I wanted Voyager to exist in that world where it could have... It's the show set up for those kind of real conversations that doesn't need a sci-fi thing pushing it Mm -hmm. from the side. And I know that the show and the series and the franchise isn't really out of that realm. It's like it's that's too big of a leap for what this one is going to do for that to be possible. I... But I, I really thought that it would have done a lot better if it just had more serious conversations about that. And if you're going to talk about the kids... It all had to be like the Tuvok stuff and the Janeway stuff. Be- yeah. and, and it was confusing it with a little bit like the, the alien sci-fi plot was about sex and sex appeal. It was about like the mating ritual sure. stuff. Yes. So yes. It, it was a little bit disjointed there where you're kind of applying too many different angles on one thing. And I think they would have been better mm-hmm. either way, I guess, if you want to separate them. I don't know if I would want to focus on that sci-fi B plot, but at least if you're, if you're going to do the kids, at least make it a more serious, thoughtful episode than this one turned yeah. out to be. Even the sci-fi B plot, though, while more about sex, it's about sex in like a nature video kind of way. Yeah, I, well, in a you know? in a like baser instincts kind of way, right? You know, like yeah. humans yeah. do the same thing. We are performative for you know sex, uh, sex stuff, and things like that. Yeah, you gotta you gotta do peacocking. That's right. You gotta Negging, wear a big hat. Peacocking. Bear, wear a big hat. Um, <laughs> big with some know, glasses. Car- yeah, <laughs> carry carry a yo yo. Yep. Do some close up magic or something. <laughs> <laughs> don't do tar- card tricks never failed there's some youtube video of someone uh saying that they were in college young and used uh card tricks to impress uh the ladies at parties and he said he was deeply embarrassed about it to this day and i, I, would, I, would, I would i would have to agree at least he's self-aware at this point to realize that that's the case mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah like um I went to a party once. sorry i don't mean to cut you off. no go ahead i went to a party i feel like it was a umass party I don't know if you were there. I don't remember. <clears throat> um, but somebody's brother who was there was a magician. This sounds vaguely <clears throat> he was, familiar. And he was like more, he was right around our age or so. And so like at a certain point in the par- at the party, the guy had his brother perform mm-hmm. to the best of his abilities <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a college party. <laughs> and he was good. <laughs> but, not, but not good enough. Well, no, he was good, but I couldn't help but feel like this was somehow making fun of him, even though right. this was, yeah. Yeah. even though this was something he was legitimately good at, and like I don't know if it was the speed at which he was rifling through all these tricks he could do, mm-hmm. but something about this felt like your brother is forcing you to do this, <laughs> and now you have to perform, <laughs> uh, you have to perform 
basic magic tricks in front of a house full of drunk college kids. Yeah. This is not going to do you any favors, no matter how good you are. Well, do you, do you think his brother was trying to embarrass him? Like, there's a lot of layers you can That's have the there. question. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if his brother was like, my my brother is is an awesome magician, and I really want... You know, it's like when you're... Do it, your tricks, it, pussy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like, you know, if you play an instrument when you're a kid, right? Mm. And then it's like you go to somebody's house and they have a piano. And then your mother's like, oh, go play the piano. Show them how good you are at the piano. Sure. Like, ma, I don't want to fucking play the piano for these people. I don't. Go play something. And then, it, like, I don't. There's an embarrassment level built into that, even though yes. from the mom's standpoint, she's not trying to embarrass you. Right. You know, I don't know if it was that. I don't know if the brother was actively trying to embarrass him. I or don't know. Or legitimately but I mean, impressed by his magic yeah, skills. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty good, though, from what I remember. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Did he have a fold-up wand? I hope so. Uh, I, 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 the only a, thing I dream. remember... That's what I remember. <clears throat> the only thing I remember is he did that, like, endless rope trick. Sure. The and scarf. I was... Uh, yeah, I was I was standing at an angle where I was actively trying to figure out how he did everything. <laughs> And I couldn't, so he was he was good at his job. We'll have to find that guy, get him on the podcast, and see we'll see why he did that, why he was doing all those magic tricks. <laughs> uh, my final my final thing before we go is just that, uh, like, if it's about the, because I could have seen an episode where the sci fi plot stays the same, where it's about this sort of uh, peacocking like sex gender differences mm-hmm. where it's like the they perform differently and they have different uh, sort of expectations and different responsibilities and different actions and stuff if they had tied it into a it, then i could accept tom paris's role in this whole thing right if tom paris sure. is yeah. having a competition with neelix in the same way that the space worms are having a competition yeah i think that's thematically sound and somewhat interesting there and i think that you yeah. can talk about stuff but that's the difference, I guess. That's where the episode gets a little bit too mushy as it combines too many different ideas at that point. Yeah, I think you could do a thing where while they are in a disagreement over having a child, Kess is like, fine, I'll go get somebody else. Yeah, and then she starts like, you know, uh, putting the moves on Paris and he's weirded out by it. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It is a bit unusual that Kess is not super horny for everybody, any male. Yeah, you know, she, yeah. She's in control of herself enough to remain within her relationship and, you know, horrible decision as it is, she has, she's decided to go with Which, Neelix. I I do appreciate that, though, because, I mean, like, <laughs> we've already got Pon Far. Here. Yeah, yeah. Do we really need another uh, female of an alien species to just be insatiably horny when she's ready to have kids. It misses flocks too. It happens after this, but Mrs. Flocks <laughs> is just down to fuck all the that's time. True. You know, it's everything is like that. That's that's their whole species though. I give that one a pass because like Dr. Flocks is constantly also, yeah. DTF yeah. as well. Yeah. He just kind of keeps it, keeps it hidden a little bit better. <laughs> it's true. Well, I, I applaud Voyager for uh, not embarrassing themselves. So let's go to I, I maybe that was Jerry Taylor's influence where she was like <laughs> she locked no, Berman's office. She's listen, just locked in there. <laughs> we can't just have her be horny. That's not what happens. Yeah. Treat her with some respect here. <laughs> treat this absurd character. I feel Jerry Taylor's Don't um, listen to her, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon. Unlock the door. <laughs> just jiggling. Do the original script. <laughs> Do open the door. <laughs> Yeah, I feel Jerry Taylor is uh, 
Taylor becomes showrunner eventually for a couple seasons anyway, so we'll see how things change there. But I do, Brandon, I do feel that. Brandon, we're going to fix this. We have our own show. We're going to have a smoking hot smoking hot Vulcan on there. And oh my gosh, she's going to go through bonfire. <laughs> it's like you've never, you would never believe. We're going to put her in a room with the sexy horned up doctor. And, oh my God. <laughs> glitter. <laughs> Decontamination glitter all over the walls. <laughs> Oh, Enterprise. I guess we should have waited to do it after Voyager. <laughs> it would have made more sense. Let's go to patron thoughts here. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support us, go there. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. You get to leave your comments on upcoming episodes. You get to listen to exclusive content. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And as always, our Captain Tier supporters get a special thank you. So, special thanks to Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Boudreau, Christian Boudreau. We're still doing this. Joint Mango, oh, Kyle Boudreau, Mike Burnett, Mike Ross, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergi, Sean, Bradley Kilns, Brandon Boudreau, Vault 13 Hero, Dwayne Hackett, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Russell Lowe's. Russell Elwich, Stephen Min, HH28, Darth Moss, Derek, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jig123, Patrick Sieb, Dave Davies, Poindexter G, Barry Wallace, Jamie Crow, Captain Brazen, Eric Sanchuan, Jacques Aguilamur, William Scheisler, Rayhan Jaffer, Nick the Rat, Zane Majors, Olivia Pardur, Garoppolo, John Zorn, Tom Hickey, Captain Munchausen, Celestine Champollion de Boudreaux, Jonas Boudreaux, Tuvix Must Die, Disbrada, Chris McLaughlin, Royo, Admiral Nakamura, Cleffy Poudreaux, Ed Mark Starr. And then the second page here is Jeremy Boudreau. I will never abandon that one. J-Man, the undiscovered Mugatu Boudreau, Robbie Duffield, Will Clay, Atango Boudreau, Artorias, Zalen Maru, Jaron Hatch, and John Aylman. Stopping off there I, with a good, strong English name to wrap yeah, things up. I have I, I still like Cleffy Boudreau. That's probably my favorite. <laughs> but the rest of them, rest of them feel like, you know, someone in 2020 asking the, the DJ to play Gangnam Style as a joke or something. <laughs> I, I assume I assume it's just because we did this so quick they forgot to change their name back. Yes, yes. Cleffy is, um, I don't know, makes me think of uh, Clefairy from Pokemon. Cleffy Poudreau is like what Clefairy signs into hotel names and is something. Uh, let's go to patron comments for... Cleffy Poudreau is like a silent era comedian. <laughs> Patron comments for Elogium. The first one is... His gimmick is like he's got an ice cream cart that he pushes around that he always ends up falling face first into or something. <laughs> Cleffy Poudreau says, Elogium, this episode's all about sex and the babies that may happen next. There's one good two vaccine and the rest shouldn't have been because it's really bad writing for Kess. One dirt dinner out of five. Carol, Kyle Barrett is our next one. Claim I'm going to send it to you because we'll alternate because sure. that thing keeps things lively. This is Kyle Boudreaux with Elogium. Good Lord, a six-day sex session, or as Sting calls it, foreplay. Sorry, I kind of st- stepped on that. Or as Sting calls it, foreplay. Cleffy Boudreaux would have delivered that flawlessly. <laughs> I don't know why everyone was excited about the possibility of Tarantino directing a Star Trek film when he was obviously just going to make a three-hour adaptation of this episode with most of the runtime dedicated to the foot massage. Apparently, the episode was supposed to be a parable about teenage pregnancy, but the idea that Kess thinks this is the only time she can get pregnant is such a big sci-fi addition that it negates any possible application to real life, and therefore all it amounts to is Kess acting goofy and Neelix acting exceedingly cunty. 
I also don't buy that raising a child on a starship is still a big deal. Haven't these people heard of legendary boomer Travis Mayweather? Two episode saving Tuvok scenes out of five. Yep. Yeah, there's a foot, there's a uh, foot massage in this one. New York isn't sticking his tongue in the holies to holies and giving uh, doctors <laughs> giving a foot massage. Norman Buckwald says, Elogium, the one where Kess must copulate before it's too late. Otherwise, the Ocampans will become extinct sooner and Voyager loses its sex appeal. One dirt feast out of five. West Dorland says, I'll read this one just because it's quick. I find this episode almost, if not more absurd than another infamous episode, Threshold, coming up this season. A species which can only have one offspring that lives nine years is doomed. I don't know why the caretaker felt so guilty. Nature seems to have already done a number on the Ocampa. Zero out of five. Well, could it? What if, do we know it's only one? Like, what if it's like a spider situation? It, uh, that's what I would have to assume. I don't know if they ever prove this or not, but we'll see. That's that's terrifying. I hope, does Neelix know that? No, I know. They have to, she start, she has to put out a tremendous number of offspring to make this make any sense. Poindexter G yeah. says, Elogium. How do the Acampa even survive? Species with short lifespans need to breed like rabbits, not once a lifetime. One child per couple doesn't even sustain the population. This makes no damn sense. The highlight of the episode is Tuvok's talk with Neelix. We see how, even though he explains it with cold Vulcan logic, he misses his family terribly and longs to be reunited with them. The plot with the space creature has an interesting end, but there's really nothing else to like here. Benjamin Espinoza says, Captain, it appears we've lost our sex appeal, says Tuvok. About sums up this weird and wacky episode. At least this is the first one in season two that actually felt like Voyager, complete with nice Janeway Chakotay sidebars about procreation. Good subjects that logically would need to be discussed. And we get the start of the Naomi Wildman arc. Oh, my goodness. She says, Sensen must come back. I assume that's oh, Naomi hey, Wildman. That. Okay. Yes, she has an arc. And she's a bit of a fan favorite, especially when Seven comes on board. Oh, my goodness. She must. She's, wow. Is she pregnant right. for five seasons of the show? If only there wasn't <laughs> yes. so much Neelix in this one. Three foot massages out of five. I didn't did know you that. Notice, did you notice they gave her the exact same hairdo as, as, as Jane? I thought she was coming in to discuss the problem that their haircuts were too similar to each other. Yeah. She looked like the, the blonde alternate skin of Janeway if you were pick, picking her character in a fighting game. Uh, this is Brandon Boudreaux. I'm going to send this to you right now. The only reason this episode is worth watching is for Tuvok's captain. It appears we've lost our sex appeal line, which made me laugh out loud. But the very idea of Neelix and Kess's offspring is scary as fuck, and Neelix is not only jealous and clingy, but sexist as well. This episode is noteworthy for the start of the Naomi Wildman arc. Even I ate dirt as a little kid. Two and a half horny space creatures out of five. I need. To, I, I'm curious. I hope I don't get spoiled about what this arc is for this woman. This will be uh, fascinating. Changeling says, in some ways, pregnancy is the ultimate bully. Kicks you in the stomach. Do not kick pregnant people in the stomach. Uh, messes with your emotions. It makes you eat bugs. I got nothing out of this episode. Neelix is unlikable. The Ocampa reproduction cycle makes no sense. B-plot is just nonsense. And when that happens, my mind wanders into weird places. When Chicote suggested they act submissive, I have expected someone to pipe up, tickle his balls, <laughs> one hand of frozen <laughs> orange juice crystals out of five. Quick, quick Captain. Can we fit that giant ball gag into the front of the voyage? <laughs> Act submissive. We are. Uh, this is where I, I cue in the uh, Bloodhound Gang song. Um, all right. So here is who is this? This is Artorius about Elogium. In the long story of Trek, 
there comes a time every so often when certain episodes make history. Unfortunately, this is the story of a ship that has to hold the proverbial soap in prison, so to speak, turning blue in the process and losing its sex appeal, the only good thing to come out of this episode, while getting dominated by a, <clears throat> excuse me, by a giant slug. Mm-hmm. The only thing more unappealing than this episode is the idea of Ocampan's sex. I'm amazed their species hasn't died out yet. One slimy blue tadpole out of five. I'm surprised that this is so negative for so a lot it of people. Is, yeah. yeah, people don't like it. Uh, Aaron Million says, Elogium. While Neelix's conversation with Tuvok was good because of the insight we got into Tuvok being a dad, this episode was subpar. What else to expect when Kess and Neelix are the stars of one? One enjoyable moment when the doctor kicks Neelix out of sickbay. Too bad he can't kick him off the ship. One hungry Kess out of five. This is Groppler John Zorn coming at you. Yeah, it is. Um, it has been a negative response to it so far. We'll read more, and I think I have some thoughts about patron comments, too. Go ahead. This is sure. Groppler John Zorn. While the bridge nonsense is boring nonsense, the Kess nonsense is at least kitschily entertaining nonsense along the lines of Threshold, Spock's Brain, and Sub Rosa. Sub Rosa is a much better episode than this. <laughs> I, like space plot- I like Spock's Brain, too. <laughs> the space plot seems like it was written for TNG, except the writers very much picked the wrong characters as corollaries. Torres is unconvincing, insisting the what-the-fuck-of-the-week is hostile, and Chakotay is extra unconvincing with Data's wonky science lines. At least this doesn't seem out of character, as the writers have already implemented. Their clearly outlined plan to, ch- to turn Chakotay into a loyal Starfleet rebel leader with both strong and weak leadership skills. Uh, <clears throat> and expertise or lack of expertise in whatever <laughs> is or isn't required to move the scene forward or not. He, he is all over the place in terms of what he can yeah. do. Yeah. I was going to say, this episode w- was like would have been perfect for some of that bullshit fake Native American stuff, but I'm surprised that they didn't have something in there. This is also the best Neelix episode we're going to get at this point for what the character has been given to work with. If I enjoyed the feeling of squeezing poop between my fingers, (laughs) I'd give this a five, but let's go with another two. Yeah, Chicote's um... Yeah, I'm almost half expecting, like, while things are going horrible on Voyager and the camera's shaking and the ship's under attack, someone to start screaming, like, what are, what are your eagle eagle friends tell us now, Chicote kind of stuff <laughs> like this. It feels like it's building towards that. But he is a, uh, yeah, he's an interesting, is this script a holdover? I think it is. I think the script is a holdover from the first season, but it, it does... I never really realized it until reading that comment from Garoppolo John's own, but it does feel like some of the characters have been given the wrong dialogue for what they are in this mm. uh, one. That's an interesting point. It's like early in the series and you weren't sure who says the lines yet at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, did you just read that one? You did. Jonathan J.K. Morris yeah. says, Elogium, I think they made too much out of Kess's ability to be fertile. Too many zany things for such a species. Good to see the Klingon purple blood put to good use again. One foot massage out of five. Jaron Hatch says, this is one of those Star Trek titillates us with another species exotic mating practices episodes and shocker does nothing interesting with it. There's definitely potential in this story where the crew has to grapple with the notion of having kids during their long voyage home. But when the writers bafflingly decide to spend most of the episodes runtime with Neelix and the cold feet he gets at the prospect of becoming a parent, they somehow manage to sideline Kess in her own episode. And I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse, at least we're spared from a conclusion that sees the two characters consummating their relationship. Nightmare fuel. Indeed. Two parental foot rubs. Out of five. 
I kind of I kind of wish that they had decided to go through with it. So for the next like half a season, they're all like, "Where's Where's Neelix and Kess? Ah, they're day five. Yeah, <laughs> it's a long one. Sting is their coach. This is the Matthew and Ross comment. The sex episode with the best unintentionally funny line from a Vulcan commenting on the loss of the ship and crew's sex appeal being the one highlight, the alien blobs, not so much. If there was ever a moment where Neelix suddenly realized that Kess was not compatible with him, it's here. Pretty gross from the tongue swelling, the weird gooey webbing, the bug eating, I'll pass. The fraternization of the crew seems like what would happen, but Chakotay, he'll be friend zoned by everyone. The groundwork for the Ensign Wildman's child is set up and adds a sense of sadness of being stuck far away. I'm glad to hear that they follow through with this. Yeah, Because it does very much feel like something like on TNG that would be the stinger at the end of an episode and they never bring it up again. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I, I honestly wasn't expecting this. Jonas says, Elogium. Why Elogium? The Oxford English Dictionary defines Elogium as a, quote, characterization, usually in a favorable sense, a eulogy. So is there some sort of eulogy in this episode for Kess's unborn child? Is the eulogy the episode itself? At one point, Kess accuses Neelix of selfishness due to his circumspection over whether or not to reproduce, as if being less circumspect were somehow less selfish. The episode suffers beyond its inherent badness for having followed projections. The less said, the better. One out of five. Uh, we've already read that one. Royo says... Royo says this. He says... That's a it's a V at the start. I just cut mm-hmm. it off. The the Bart the <clears throat> uh, the horny episode reminds me a lot of Deep Space Nine's fascination when Luxana Troy made everyone horny, made Quark come on to Keiko Cake Keiko Keiko. I've never se- I don't know if I've ever seen it written out like that. <laughs> Ke- Keiko and Jake come on to Kira. There are some hard questions to ask, such as whether or not Voyager should be expected to become a generational ship, but Neelix is too insufferable to make this a tolerable episode. And where and where in sorry, and were the writers trying to make the Akampa not function as a race by having a biological negative population growth? If only Tuvok would strangle Neelix to death, everything would be better. Ugh, skip. One point five out of five. Let's how much does it how much does it bother you that yep the 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 math doesn't work for the acampa doesn't bother me really uh yeah the, the more pro the more i don't like the word problematic the, the, the weirder thing about it is um kessa's age is a bigger issue for me yeah like the constant referencing that she's she doesn't she's too young to know what she's doing is a bad way to go about things <laughs> um and then just to highlight it by saying she's only two years old uh is just weird the the negative population thing is more just like an interesting point to me, but it's not really vital. If it was a better yeah. episode, I wouldn't care. It is kind of weird that she doesn't know what's happening to her at the at the start. But as soon as Janeway's like, you're going through puberty, she immediately is like, oh, I know every single in and out of how procreation works for my yeah. species. So let's do this. Yeah, it's a, it, it's almost a... um. It's almost a confusing setup. It, it left me wondering what the truth was. I wasn't convinced that she was telling the truth at that part, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I, I was, I, I've been. Oh, so you think she's trying to just trick Neelix into, into yes. having a baby? <laughs> he doesn't need to know. 
A Latte Librarian says, Hello, Jim. The one good part in this episode is the scene between Janeway and Kess where they have the Your Body is Changing talk. That was actually sweet in a mother-daughter way. The rest had a lot of potential, but they trashed it by focusing on Fuckboy Neelix. One out of five. Uh, is this the first one? This is the first one. We've already read this. Have we read this one? Yes, we did. Thanks, everybody, for... Did we read Taxile Bear? It's hard to imagine something more awkward than a Vulcan having trying to have a sexual intercourse lest they explode, but here we are with Kess needing a foot massage from her dad so she can give birth. What a weird episode. I did read that, I think. Thanks, everybody, for commenting on this episode. It's much appreciated. Uh, pretty negative from the the the, uh, the listeners there, Clay. Mm-hmm. I'm not nearly mm-hmm. as negative on it. Um I don't know. What's your sense of the, the, would you say that the listeners didn't like it because of the, trying to see here, mostly just not really living up to the concept, I guess, which I agree with. Not really like focusing on this procreation thing. I don't know. Cause that doesn't seem to be something that they call out in the, in the comments. And just clicking through. Yeah. 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 Most of the criticism seems to be leveled at, uh, Neelix being a jerk and the Ocampan, the math of the the reproductive system, mm. um, like because I, I, I think that's where you and I differ with them is that I I feel like for both of us the idea that they're playing with here is actually pretty good. Um, it's just that the they kind of the focus is kind of in the wrong place. I think. Yeah, I would agree with Neelix. I, I can go there. I. I mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it's less about the the construction of it, and more just that they, they they didn't really super focus on the the aspect that I would prefer to have seen. But at the same time, I don't think this one embarrassed itself. So this is a, that's it for the patrons. Patreon.com slash the Pensacival if you want to support the show and leave some comments about the upcoming episodes. Go there and do that. Let's go to our final thoughts, Clay. What'd you think about this one? This is um I'll go first. I guess I I thought that this one this is one of those weird semi hard to talk about episodes um because i don't think it really it's not horrible it's not great it has some interesting things to it but it also doesn't really go interesting it doesn't go deep in what's interesting about it enough to make talking about it super effective you know like they they don't really get into the stuff that i would have wanted to see which would be even if they didn't accomplish what they were talking about it's something for us to talk about this sits somewhere in that uncomfortable middle ground where it's not really baked enough to be ready to serve but it's also not a complete disaster at the same time i'm gonna give it a two i think yeah but i didn't i didn't dislike it really I, i i just think it's a little bit of a mess yeah i would agree um, I think, I, I think that thing that's missing is, is what I was talking about before where there's, they set up the whole, um, crux of the episode around Neelix and Kess having to make this choice and then they make the choice off screen and you'd never really get to, they don't ever really grapple with the the choice. And so it, it kind of makes everything kind of feel like a bit of a, you know, exercise in futility because they're, they're, they're bringing up some interesting things, but they're not doing anything interesting with it. And they ultimately sidestep having to <clears throat> have any real conversation or, or a real decision or consequences born from it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes it feel so unsatisfying is because it's, it just kind of, 
what it as it is, what it ultimately ultimately boils down to is, man, it would be wild if they had to have a baby. Right. And that's that's kind of it. Like there's no well, there's it, no real grappling with that in any real way that 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 feels like they've um uh gotten into into the idea in, in any real way. Yeah, I I guess maybe I'm I'm coming to this late now at the end of the episode, but I think that something that kind of irritates me about it and I wonder what you think because coming from from my perspective their decision about whether or not to have a child is in 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 the discussion that these characters are having is one of the least interesting ways to discuss having a child really yes. it's like there's no yes. there's no trade-off or negatives really there's like there's no they're not balancing anything in this episode what they're really having to do is decide do we want to fuck now you know right. like yes so there's there's not a it's not a are we running out of resources? It's not tying into the voyage of like what does it mean to bring more people onto the ship and of mission right, that we can't we right. don't know whether or not this is going to succeed. It's not about do we love each other enough to have a kid or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. so it's it's the worst case scenario for a discussion about having a kid. And I think that's a big problem with it. But I, I was wondering if if people who if maybe for some people that's all that you need for that discussion is whether or not they should at that point but i think just for my experience for having the kids it's just it's a much more it's a it's a deeper conversation than that like this is the worst mm-hmm. kind of case that you could have and sorry to realize that at the end of the podcast but that's maybe the fundamental thing about the neelix stuff that doesn't work for me yeah cuz i mean they start the episode with janeway going like jeez people might start having kids Mm. this might impact the ship and then when they actually get to a point where someone might have a kid they never even broach that subject right yeah you know so like yeah like you're saying there's no there's no it's only about the personal decision of these two characters which doesn't really make it that interesting to put into a science fiction show yeah other than man their mating ritual sounds gross and weird. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the undoing to me. That's what I and I think Kyle said it in the comments. That's that that sci fi angle is a distraction, I think, from mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. All right, we'll both give it twos. Twos out of five for Elogium. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for, uh, thank you for supporting the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. Much appreciated. I don't know what we're doing on there now, but we'll probably have some more uh, coverage of something that's coming out. But we have to recover, recuperate after all the Strange New Worlds and Picard coverage, and then we'll come back with some other stuff. So thanks very much for listening there. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, I started watching The Boys the other day, and uh, I find it distracting how much Jack Quaid, who also does the voice of Boimler on um, (laughs) Lower Decks, Lower Decks, how much he looks like his dad, Dennis Quaid. Oh, it's, it's Dennis Quaid's kid. Yeah, oh. if you if you you might not realize it if you if you don't know that, but once you know that, you like can't unsee it. It's, oh, okay, he looks exactly like his dad. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, we've got a Rotten Heart Picture Show is still going. Um, we're on a bit of a hiatus with Badass, but I think Sean and I are going to come back and do an episode after both issues of Red Hood come out, which should be the end of August. And uh, Amanda and I are still trucking away with the second string of Stephen King on Patreon. So uh, check that out, too. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. 
with Twisted, the episode called Twisted. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for leaving your comments. We'll see you on the Discord. We'll see you around the galaxy. All right, we're done. See you next week with Twisted.